Holly G with the Golf Insiders for this edition of Tour Talk. We are five days away from the second major of the 2023 season, the PGA Championship, which will be in my hometown, at my home course, Rochester, New York, at Oak Hill Country Club. But first, someone's going to punch their ticket on Sunday to get their spot, the last spot in the PGA Championship. To break it all down for us, Bob Herrig joins me from SI.com. Hey, Bob. Hey, how are you doing? Before we talk about the Byron, let's just do a quick recap on uh, Sunday's winner at Quail Hollow, Wyndham Clark. Uh, a great win and a guy that we've sort of had our eye on here to break through for a while, Bob. Yeah, uh, exactly, and and I think there was some surprise that he had earlier, although if you looked at his record, he hadn't really, um, you know, he hadn't really posted a lot of top finishes. You know, he had his his chances, his, he was up there a few times, but uh, he didn't have a, uh, you know, a consistent body of work over the last five years that put him in contention all the time. He's just a nice player who broke through once in a while to get close, but this was like, you know, really barging through the door. I mean, he hit 17 of 18 greens on Saturday and shot 63 playing with Xander Shoffley, you know. Um, I mean, the only green he missed was on 18. It was on the fringe. And then, you know, after he makes a bogey to start Sunday, a little shaky, and you're thinking, uh-oh, might not uh, <laughs> this might not turn out so well. And he actually fell behind Xander through seven, through seven holes. He had a two-shot lead and was one behind. Uh, but he, he steadied himself. He played like the next nine holes and three or four under par, made only one more bogey, which was on 18 when it didn't matter, one by three. And, uh, you know, now he has a pretty big pretty big win under his belt. Yeah, really solid, solid win. And uh, against, you know, somebody you'd call a bulldog to go up against, especially on a Sunday in Xander Shoffley. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I, I got to believe Xander's kicking himself a little bit. Um, you know, he he got a, he got a hole ahead or a shot ahead. Um, he, you know, had a chance to sort of, um, you know, really put the pressure on. The eighth hole at Quail Hollow is a short par four. Uh, that's a birdie hole. And, um, you know, Wyndham Clark made a great pitch to get it up and down for a birdie, and Xander did not. And and then on the ninth hole, it, it should have been a two-shot swing. Um, Xander made a bogey, and Wyndham had a short birdie putt that he missed, but he still went up by one, and he was never tied again. I mean, you know, Xander's got far more, um, you know, experience in those situations, and and he wasn't able to put the pressure on him. And, you know, look, it wasn't like it was easy out there. No, I don't think Xander was playing terrible at all. I mean, he actually played pretty well. He shot couple under par and, and still got beat. Quail Hollow's one tough golf course. We know this. Yeah, it certainly can be. And, I mean, you know, there's there's some stretches of holes that you can get, and then there's some kind of cool, you know, risk-reward holes like the like the 14th, which is a par 4, uh, short par 4 that most guys tried to drive. And, you know, Wyndham Clark laid up every day, and I think he birdied it two of the four times. It was interesting, you know. Adam Scott hit it on the green Sunday, but he was he was on the front of the green and he was like a hundred feet away. And he putted it off, 
he ended up making he ended up making a bogey. Crazy. On a hole that you're, you're thinking, you know, he's trying to birdie. get it on the green so he can make eagle and certainly make an easy birdie, you know. So, uh, you know, I thought that was, you know, he played he played pretty smart there. You know, he decided, oh, I'm going to hit a wedge up there every day. And, for in fact, he birdied it Sunday doing just that. Yeah, proved to be a, a good strategy. So we're moving on to the Byron Nelson uh Originally called the Texas Victory Open, Bob, when it started in 1944. This is one of the longest-running events on the tour. And uh, what do you see shaping up for uh, the next couple of days? Yeah, you know, it's it's it doesn't have the field that you would probably like, um, obviously due to the way the schedule is now with, with the PGA next week and the designated event before it, and, and they lost Jordan Spieth to a wrist injury. Uh, but Scotty Shuffler's there, and um, Hideki is there, also coming off injury. Um, and, you know, it's a long-running event. I, I, you know, K.H. Lee, who's won it the last two years, um, you know, obviously has found something about that golf course that he likes. And... You know, for the guys that I saw where Terrell Hatton's playing, you know, like he wants to play the week leading into a major. Uh, so, you know, I, it's it's a I think it's the event's fine. It's going to probably give us some some pretty good names and maybe a few that we're not expecting um, to uh, to give it a run this week. Speaking of uh, giving it a run, uh Live Golf is out in Oklahoma, and uh, Taylor Gooch coming off two uh, consecutive wins. Uh, 18 players are going to be entering the PGA Championship from Live Bob. Um, how do you see uh, things shaping up for the second major of the year? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. It depends on how you want to look at this. Um, they they stuck to their they stuck to their original kind of you know tradition, which is they invited everybody who's in the top 100 in the world. So, you know, all the live guys who are in the top 100 got a got an exemption if they weren't exempt through some other means. Like like uh, uh, Brendan Steele was in because he had I believe a top 15 finish at last year's PGA. Obviously, Cam Smith and Phil, you know, Brooks, those guys are in for winning majors. Bryson, Patrick Reed. Um, but there was, they were under no obligation to take anybody. And it was obviously going to probably be a bad look if they skipped over those guys. But what's interesting is, is after you get past 100, um, they skipped some guys that do have fairly high rankings, like Cameron Tringali, who's 103rd and I think Sebastian Munoz is on 111, and Kokrak is right around there. They did not get invites. Paul Casey at 131 did. So he's like the last live player in um, off, you know, off of that category. Uh, and so, it's you know, it's sort of like, did, did they do him a favor or did they not? You know, like, obviously, Casey's interesting. It's hard to figure out why they invited him. It might have been because he missed last year's tournament after he had had a high finish the year before at the PGA. Um, but look, 18, it's down from, you know, the number they had in last year, obviously Liv hadn't even launched yet. Um, but, uh, again, it's kind of another opportunity for those guys to, you know, to, to sort of 
beat the drum for, hey, you know, we're, we're not chumps. You know, we're still pretty good golfers. And it'll be interesting to see. This is a lot different than the Masters. It's a course that a lot of people don't know. Um, obviously, it's had immense changes even since the one ten years ago. I've, I've heard it's really not even recognizable from that PGA. A lot of trees are gone. The greens have been redone. Uh, so, you know, we'll see. But, um, you know, that's going to be a storyline. I see Phil's been on Twitter chirping about the fact that a couple of those guys didn't get invited when they go off the OWGR. But, like, you know, they took guys farther down. Like, Joel Damon got an invite and, and uh, you know, Bo Hostler, And they're ranked lower than Kokrak and Tringali and some of those guys. So, you know, there's still that angst. And... Uh, I guess I'm still of the, of the opinion that, like, why would why would any of the majors want to do anything to keep out, you know, the top players, and even by by the ranking system that they use, which a lot of people think is flawed. You know, like, why would you want to work to keep them out? The, these storylines have actually been good for the game. The, sort of the villain angle here, I think, has been good. It's been embraced. You know, whether you like it or not, it's been embraced, and... Uh, so we'll see what they have to say next week on that topic. Well, your parent company, Sports Illustrated, has also jumped into the rankings world. Bob, we really haven't had a chance to talk about that yet. Um, can you share with my listeners how that came about? Well, I think it came about like, you know, the idea was hatched over a year ago or around a year ago when there was so much talk about the world rankings. And, you know, there was a lot of conjecture that they weren't ranking players properly. And then and then we had the big change in the OWGR in August when, you know, they went to a new system where basically every player in the field is rated and, and their points go towards the, t- the total ranking points allotted that week. It didn't used to be that way. And uh, when, you know, when, when live players weren't getting getting ranking points, I think our guys decided, let's let's see what would happen if they did and include everybody. And so they went back and included the, these guys for what they did in live, and they applied a formula. Now, one thing that's different about the SI rankings is it only goes back a year, like the OWGR goes back two years. Right. Now, obviously, the points dwindle off, you know, the farther out you go, but still players are, you know, anything they did, before last year's PGA no longer counts, you know, so that is going to have an impact. They are also using a metric that I think, frankly, is poorly worded. It's called it's called distance per shot. It's not really measuring their distance. It's measuring it's a measure it's a, a measuring tool your score versus the course yardage, and you know that's kind of like a hybrid of, of a handicap system. You know, a handicap system looks at your score based on slope and course rating and, and how long the yardage is. And so I think there's been some confusion over that. Um, if you look at ours, there's some anomalies. Like some live guys are ranked worse, you know, than they are in the OWGR. Some are obviously ranked better. A guy like Taylor Gooch is going to be much higher up because he's getting credit for these two wins. Right. Uh, same with Charles Howell, who won earlier and had a good finish at the, uh, uh, at the Tucson event. So, you know, he – he was like way outside the top 300 in the OWGR, but when you were letting, when you were giving him points for the events he played last year, um, his ranking wasn't going to slip as much. And so then when he wins, he jumps up. 
you know, so look, none of these ranking systems are perfect. It's really hard to compare. I, I got into this discussion with somebody the other day, like, you know, how do you compare what somebody on the Asian tour is doing or the or the Sunshine Tour with somebody on the PGA Tour? You know, they're playing different courses. They're playing different competition. And so they try to put these formulas in place that rank the players and give you more, um, you know, more oomph for being in a higher rated field. Well, obviously the PGA Tour is going to win out on that every time. You know, and as we're seeing, if you if you play on the PGA Tour, you're gonna you, you're going to be able to strengthen yourself. I mean, this I I, tr- I used the example a couple of weeks ago. The Mexico Open was probably one of the weakest regular events they'll have this year in the main schedule. You know, in other words, from January through the Tour Championship, and not an opposite event. Right. You know, they only had a, t- a few top guys, and I think Tony Fino got 29 points for winning. Whereas, whereas two weeks before, Fitzpatrick got 60-something for winning uh, the uh, at Hilton Head. It was a designated event. It had all the top players, you know, so it had a much stronger strength of field. A better gauge is, like, last last week, I believe, uh, Wyndham Clark was in the 50s. This week will probably be in the high 30s points. You know, that's, you know, so basically – the worst of the PGA Tour is 28 or 29 points. The best is going to be in the 60s or maybe 70. A major gets 100 automatically. Well, a live event, the way it is right now with their field, 48 players, only 48 players, you can only, you know, that's, it's going to give your total points to be less. It would probably get about 20 points for a win. You know, so worse than the 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 weakest pga tour event Mm -hmm. and like less than half of most pga tour events so i've argued it's not like it's a clear path to you know climbing the world rankings i mean if you're if you're outside the top five in a live event you'd virtually be getting nothing you know i mean a guy on the asian tour right now getting six points for a win isn't going to climb into the top 100 anytime soon you know you'd have to you'd have to win eight six, eight tournaments out there to have any chance. So, you know, I just sort of wish that go ahead and give them the points and let them see where it falls. I just don't think it would it's going to have, unless you win often, unless you have a great year like DJ did last year, Dustin Johnson's 75th in the world right now. We all know that's ridiculous. Yeah. You know, but in like the, in this, in the data golf also does a, a ranking that includes live players. And theirs is, you know, is, is very interesting to look at, too. Ours is, you know, there's there's going to be quibbles with it, with both. But, I mean, DJ's in the top 20 in data golf and in, and in our thing. You know, so that's probably a little bit more where he should be. He had one win on live and he had several, like, top 10s and a couple top 5s. So that what it would have done was it wasn't going to move him into the top 10. He was, like, 15th when he left live. You know, and then he, he had a T7 at the British Open, which helped him. His tie for 48th at the Masters this year did not help him. And his, his, his you know, his relative success on Liv has sort of kept him where he was. It hasn't, like, moved him into the top ten or anything. You know, so, and, and you know, some of these other guys are, you know, they're just, they, they, if, you have, if you have a couple of good tournaments out there, you're going to move up a little bit. But, again, like I've been saying, a guy like, you know, uh, you know, uh, Phil, who was way outside, he only moved up because he had a great Masters. You know, he wasn't going to make that kind of a move playing great on live. 
I agree, and as clearly as you explained it, um, I'm still confused, Bob. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's the problem. I mean, it's just... It's not that easy to figure, you know, this stuff, the, the world, the actual OWGR, actually, I thought they did a good thing last fall, when the, or last August, and they had been working on this for years. Agree. I'm not, like, yep. it was not a, it was not a knee-jerk thing. Right. There had been a long period of time where there was a sense that. The, the that, geeks have been yeah. in the room crunching the numbers. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, and you had you had tours around the world that got minimum points regardless of who was in the field, and there was some feeling that that wasn't right. It was it was artificially giving guys a chance to move up, and also what they used to do, which I don't think a lot of people understand, is well, they 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 the strength of field rating was determined only by players in the top 200 in the world. So let's say you had a 100-player field, just to keep the number simple, and 50 of them were in the top 200, and the other 50 were outside of the top 500 or 600 or 700. Those players weren't counted against the field. It was only the 50 in the top 200. Well, clearly that's going to be a stronger field strength than, than, than a tournament that, like, has, you know, a, a more representative number of top 200 players, uh, but but doesn't you know but doesn't uh, but doesn't have the, the you know the weaker weaker players, and so that when that changed it, it it really impacted tours around the world, and when they started counting up the points for every player as opposed to just 200, those in the top 200 that meant a 144 player field was almost always going to rate higher than a short field. So the Tour Championship took a hit last year. So right. the Tigers Tournament. Yes. So would, like, the BMW Championship. Even though they have very strong fields, yep. they're not going to get as many points as they did before because they're they're limited. And that's probably how it should be. You might remember in the fall at the DP World Tour Championship in Dubai, um, John Rahm won it. And he was very critical of the world rankings at the time because – the RSM, which was played opposite, it was getting more points. Yes. And the RSM had like one top 25 player, and the DP World Tour event had like eight, and they had two or three in the top 10. Well, the reason is is because of the 144 player field went deeper, and you add up all those numbers, and it comes up to more than adding up 50. And there's some, you know, now maybe there's some tweaking that needs to go on there a little bit to account for a as top heavy field, but the actual math, if you apply it, makes sense because there's more players to beat, you know. So, and and, and that's why I've been saying too, like Liv's 48 player field is, is a detriment to them in the OWGR. You know, if if they don't want to have more players, well then that's on them. That that hurts them. You yeah. know, so like yep. that's why they really should go to 60 players. 12 more players would help their world ranking strength if they ever get them. Yeah. Well, and it's certainly the, you know, the new system uh, better represented, right, the global aspect of golf. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you know, and uh, <laughs> it's a – listen, it, I, I, don't, I don't mean to criticize the OWGR. I think it's a very hard job. But, you know, look, it was also never meant for what, what, what we're seeing today. 
when when they when they went to their current structure, however many years ago, it was meant to allow for a developmental tour or a new tour to come along and find a way to get some relevancy by giving world ranking points. And they set up a system by which you know there was there were some guidelines they wanted you to follow, and 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 you know. Uh, among them were some, you know, rudimentary things like they want to make sure that you had a minimum purse and that you could pay it, and that you had administrators who knew how to run golf tournaments and things like that, you know. And and it was and it was always meant for that tour to feed into a tour that sponsored it, you know. With Live, the Asian tour sponsored it. It's a, it's sort of a little bit in reverse, like Live players aren't trying to gain their way into the Asian tour. Even though every one of them would be exempt to play there based on their relationship, you know, it's it's kind of in reverse. Right. Um, it was it was the the system was never set up for a tour to come along and be one that would pluck players from existing tours to compete against those tours. You know, like nobody views like the Sunshine Tour. You know, people make the argument. You know, the PGA Tour China when it came along. Uh, whatever, 10 years ago or so. Now, you know, it's on hold still. They immediately got world ranking points, and people cried, you know, look, you know, that's, that's look, they didn't have to wait a year. Well, right, and that's why the world ranking guidelines are only that. They're not set in stone, but it's obvious why they didn't have to wait a year. They, they're under the guise of the PJ Tour. They know what they're doing. You know, like they weren't going to put this thing up and not pay the purse and not have people in charge who could run it. And, you know, they had a system where PJ Tour China could earn spots on the Corn Ferry Tour, just like the, you know, the uh, Canadian Tour and the uh, and the Latino America Tour that now are going to be merged next year. You know, that's all under the guise of, of the of the tour, you know. So, it, listen, it's a fascinating, you know, in the weeds topic that has arguments on both sides but i think most people don't like get into the weeds and so they make their arguments based on not having all of the you know not all the uh the important points well we are not afraid to go deep in the weeds here at the golf insiders bob but uh i don't think you probably ever guessed you'd need a minor in statistics along with your journalism degree when you set out into the golf a media world. Yeah, that's true. I mean, look, I didn't think I'd have to know about that, and I'm still not good at it. I've <laughs> never been good at plugging the numbers to figure out the OWGR. I always have to wait. <laughs> I never thought I'd have to learn about the legal stuff like we have, you know, especially with, with what's going on uh, here with Liv. There's a lot of police reports involved, too. Speaking of which, you teed it up for me. Tiger's day in court on Tuesday. Your assessment of what happened there? Well, I mean, my non-legal um, mind and take on it is is it was probably a good development for him. It sounds to me, from what I've read and, and looking at the transcript, that you know, that the judge was skeptical about Erica not having signed an NDA, and which was one of the arguments that was tried to be made. And, you know, Did his it? point was is anything needed to be done in arbitration in private. And she's trying to get that waived with um, a, a, a relatively new federal law 
that says if sexual harassment is involved, then the NDAs are void. But if you go back and read all of that and, and, and you see what Tiger's attorneys put forth, she was alleging that at the time, kind of around when she was working for him at the restaurant and their relationship was taking off. But the point is, is that if you look, she ended up quitting her job at the restaurant. They lived together. Like, in other words, at some point, if, if you were afraid of retribution, which is what, you know, the sexual harassment claim is, you willingly went, went into this relationship where you didn't work your job and you lived there. Again, so like as someone who's not a legal person, you know, I'm looking at that and with some skepticism. You know, the other side of it is, is, you know, that, that, that complaint um, also didn't make, make Tiger look real good in the way the breakup was handled. And obviously these things can be messy. Um, you just thought that common sense says if this isn't going to work out and you want to move on, then, like, let's get things settled behind closed doors and, and move on. You know, instead, by, by, by doing it the way they did it, that opened up the door for her to get upset and, and come back, right? And so that's why we're here. So, yeah, I mean, um, it, I mean, setting her up. Really? And dumping her at the airport? Really? Yeah. Come on, Tiger. What yeah, are I mean, you thinking? I know. If that's true and that's the way it went down, you know, that that's what caused the angst and and why we're in the situation we are. If he would have or they would have just decided, look, you know, like maybe he just decided I don't want to do this anymore. Okay, then you then you you know what's in, it's at stake if, with your with your status in the world and you've got to resolve this, you know, you, you know, no, nobody, nobody cares at a lower level if somebody's done wrong, but in this case, you know, what's at stake. And so you better, you know, you better, you better, you better probably end it properly. And obviously she knows everything. She was there for all of the back surgery for the car crash. You know, I mean, I'm sure there's some embarrassing things that could come out. You know, everybody always wondered what happened. You know, and, and it's never been discussed, you know. So, again, um, it's just, you know, it's just unfortunate all the way around. It's, you know, you, you want to try to stay neutral and not judge anyone here. It's, we, we don't know what happened and we, you know, we don't know what all went on. But based on what's in, what's just come out in the court this week, you know, it sounds like this latest thing was, was a win for Tiger. All right. Well, time to throw your dart and... Who are you picking to win the Byron Nelson on Sunday? Well, I went, uh, I'm going with a real off-the-wall one, Ryan Palmer, who's a Dallas guy. Seems to play well there. Um, not really on anybody's radar. And uh, this is a week where somebody not on someone's radar could win. You know, it's, it's you know, on, it's, frankly, it's a bit of a weaker field than we've seen, and and it's a good look. It's a good opportunity for a lot of guys. A win's a win, you know. Win on the PGA Tour gets you a lot, and uh, and so. Um, but uh, I, w I went with an old veteran. I don't Ryan think. Palmer. Yeah, I don't think that's such a uh, a long shot. Uh, but interestingly, KH Lee, a two-time back-to-back -back winner at Byron Nelson, 
he's been trending recently too, Bob, in the last few tournaments. So how about uh, how about KH Lee for a three peat? Yeah, I mean, I just think that's so hard to do. But you know, he obviously loves the course and he's been playing decently, but he's not at he's not at wins anywhere else. You know, so it um, it makes for an odd an, an odd thing. I mean, uh, um, no power to him though if he can pull it off. I think that'd be great. Well, here's the flashback from ten years ago: the PGA Championship winner Jason Duffner at Oak Hill in 2013, and two shots behind Jim Furyk. Wow. How about that? Where'd that yep. decade go, Bob? <laughs> that's yeah, your, that's your next book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's pretty wild. Duffner was in the top 10 in the world then, and he's now outside the top 600. So um, things change. Sure yeah, does. they change. What, what, a, um, what a book that would make, honestly, in terms of what we have been through in this decade of golf. But as always, Bob, we appreciate your time. I can't wait to see you in person next week at the PGA Championship and uh, the second major of the 2023 season. See you soon, my friend.